Amen. Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, we thank you for your word that is true, that is holy, and that reminds us of who you are. Lord, may you speak to us in these next few moments as we are gathered together. May our worship not cease, but may it continue to be here as we are attentive to your word and your voice. And may we not be hearers alone, but may we be doers of your word, God. Build our faith in you stronger. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to bring you an outline if you, if you would like. So you can follow along. You can take some notes. Uh, it's always important for me. I think Pastor Aldo, I think he said it the other day. I don't know if it was Pastor Aldo who it was, but a teacher told him that there's no mind as sharp as a pencil or something like that, right? That was Pastor Aldo. So I like that, right? And so, you know, I have a good memory. I, I, I'm pretty good with... Remembering things, and yet I don't remember everything, uh, so I, I encourage you to take some notes. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever felt left out? Yes. <laughs> wow, some, some, some feelings up in here right now. Like, yes, yes, amen. All right, well, we're, we're going to work on that, right? Glory to God. <laughs> uh, you know, you, 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 you ever not been invited to a party or to a gathering and, 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 and you know, especially nowadays, like, like back in the days, there was no Facebook, Instagram, there was no selfies and all that stuff. And so you didn't know until like a week later, but nowadays you're scrolling through Facebook, sitting at home by yourself and you're like, oh, really? They were hanging out. Like, why couldn't I get right? And so you feel some kind of way. I remember our wedding. I was thinking about this as we're, as we're looking at the marriage feast. And if, if any of you have ever done a, a wedding or uh, been part of a wedding and been part of the planning of the wedding, there is this list that is a very important list. It's in a very exclusive list as well because typically there is a limited budget, glory to God. Amen. That can pay for the plates, right? And and you don't and you know you don't want to be like I, I don't I don't know, I just me, right? And you don't want to be ghetto and be like Hey, you can come to the wedding, but the reception, sorry, there's only like 25 seats. All right, that, 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 bring me a gift, in other words, right? Like, bring me, you know, you don't want to. So, so when you think about a wedding, right, our wedding, I mean, we sat down and we, and we did, you know, numbers and names. And, you know, we, we, were, we were very much loved by a lot of people in our church. And, you know, with, with church folks, you know, a lot of times we feel like, well, I see you every week and I know you, so I, I must be getting an invite. 
And then people, and then people get salty, right? They feel some kind of way because they didn't get an invite, and they realize, hold on a second, you know, this wedding is around the corner, and I still have an RSVP, glory to God. Maybe you didn't get my address, you know, something like that, right? <laughs> so we, we, we've all felt left out, and for anyone online or in here that is going to do a wedding at some point, just know you're going to offend people. Just know that there's going to be people that are not invited. And for those of you that don't get invited, including myself, amen, hallelujah. It's not because I didn't love you. It's not because I don't care about you. It's not because you're not important. None of those things. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. You may not be in the top 10 list. That's just the truth. I, let's keep it 100, right? I mean, it's, it's okay. Like, that's not, not everybody is in that. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That was for free. That ain't got nothing to do with it. I'm just joking. But when you see the text here, you, you notice that he writes something so important. Look at verse 9. Blessed are those who are called or invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those. And so when we look at the scriptures, if you look at your outline, the sure judgments of God that we're going to look at in chapter 19 and 20 and final destination of our enemy and those who align with him along with the promised celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb should move us to ensure that we have been invited. See, you may miss every wedding. You may not get the invite to any wedding that you want to be at. You may not get invited to the party that you want to go to or for Christians, the fellowship that you want to be at. But one thing is for certain, every one of us should be seeking one invitation. We should be pursuing one invitation. There is one list you want to make. Hello. And it is the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is something we look forward to as believers because, man, we want to celebrate with Jesus. We want to worship him. We want to honor him. And, 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 the, and the writer here, John, being spoken to by the servant of the Lord that is sharing with him, lets him know, hey, man, you listen, blessed, blessed, happy, hallelujah. For those of you guys that have been to Forge, we've been going through the Beatitudes, happy, a happy life, right? The things that make you happy, well, one of these, this is one of the Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. There's some blessings throughout the book of Revelation. And here, blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, as with any good, and this is in your outline there, as with any good drama, a climactic ending is appropriate, right? You know, you ever watch a movie and it's like, oh my goodness, the movie was so great until... <laughs> terrible, right? It's ter Terrible. Last night we were at the Better Man event and they interviewed Denzel Washington. And I'm sorry, guys, we didn't plan effectively uh, for Better Man. And I and I have to say, you did. You missed it. It was it was pretty it was pretty great. Um, so I really do apologize. I'm so sorry. However, Denzel Washington, as he was being interviewed, you know, they were they were asking him questions and. You know, just if you listen to the interview, just know that Denzel is a work in progress. He's a 67-year-old guy who, in my opinion, had some encounters with God at some point in his life, but he is not a full-fledged disciple of Jesus. What I mean is he's not being discipled and developed, so he doesn't say Jesus a lot. He says a lot of I, I, I. But they asked him a question. They, when they asked him this question, they asked him about the movies that he made because in the movies, in the, in the movies that he makes, and it was funny. This was so crazy because immediately my mind went to training day. Everybody in here, y'all were like the same. Everyone, he was the same. But you want to know something? Check this out. This is crazy. 
Because a lot of times we judge, we judge things the wrong way. Now, training day obviously was terrible, right? But you know what he did, his, his influence in that movie? He said this. He, he brought it up. He didn't know I was thinking about it. This was recorded a long time ago. He said he changed the ending of training day to the way that he died. Because he didn't want this guy to die a hero. He wanted him to die a slime ball. He wanted the, the, the whole city to turn their back on him and, and want nothing to do with this guy who was holding, you know, over their head all of the stuff he was doing. You remember, now, now you're like, oh, wait a second. There was a message there. Yeah. Even in training day, hello. There was a message that you can't live grimy and expect to die gloriously. You will reap what you sow at some point. Hello. The sad thing is that many people are not going to die like Denzel did. I don't know the guy's name in training day. It's a long time ago. Some people are going to die thinking everything is okay until they step across the threshold into eternity and they realize, hold on a second, I'm not going to a mansion. I'm going to a place of suffering. Oh, hold, hold, wait, wait, I, I, but I, life was good. <laughs> yeah, that was the end. Remember that pastor that was preaching to you? Remember that friend of yours that was communicating to you? Remember that person that kept inviting you to church and saying, hey, man, you should really get right with Jesus. Remember that coworker who was trying to talk to you and incur? Remember all that? And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, I want to go to the mansion. No, 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 you ain't going to a mansion. There's a place you want to be invited, and that is to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, as with any good drama, a climactic ending is appropriate. However, it cannot be overstated, and I want to make this clear, that this is not simple a simple drama. This is prophetic truth promised to God. You know why I want to emphasize this? Because when we read the book of Revelation, and we realize that, yeah, we have seen that some things are bad, and there are some things that are occurring, that there is a, a future in which things are going to get even worse. And, 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 and we see some things because there's so much symbolism and stuff like that in the book of Revelation that sometimes we think it's, you know, man, this is, this is so far out. This is almost fiction. This ain't fiction, my friends. What we see in the book of Revelation is truth. It is prophetic word. It is a call to repentance for the church. It is a reminder that we serve a holy and righteous God, that we have a real enemy that wants to do nothing but still kill and destroy. And you see it throughout Revelation. He is seeking to de deceive and divide and conquer. He is seeking to destroy our lives. And there is a God in the midst of it all who is calling us to himself, calling us to to repentance, calling us to submission and surrender. And there will come a day that, listen, these things are going to collide in a way that we see here that we're going to have to make some choices. Hello. When we see the book of Revelation, this is not just some great story, something that, man, they should make a movie about this. Huh? I don't think the movie would be able to articulate what we really see in the book of Revelation. Clearly, this is God's prophetic truth. This is how it all ends. God's wrath is going to be poured out upon all mankind. And now what we see here in this chapter, these two chapters are the ending, the final judgment before the celebration begins. That's what we see here. There are five events that are key events that will precede, that will precede the final new heavens and new earth that we'll talk about next week. 
These things here, the final judgment and then this celebration, while this judgment is happening, this celebration occurs. But I want you to think about this this morning, and I hope that you'll, you'll take this with you. When our focus is on Christ, our expectations will be met, even if not how and when we would like. Let me say it again. When our focus is on Christ, our expectations will be met, even if not how and when we would like. And what this, this is kind of a, a thought that I have here for you that is in the middle of all of this symbolism and all this stuff that's going to happen. But what I want you to know is that this whole series has not just been to make you know more about the, about the book of Revelation. It's about making you know him better. It's about pointing you to Christ. It is about pointing you to him that in the midst of it, I love it because again, what do we see? We see the picture of heaven before hell breaks out again, before this final battle happens again. What do we, what do we see? We see worship again. Church, why do I love worship? Why do I want to not even be preaching right now? I want to be on my face saying nothing else matters but you. Why? Because he's all that matters. It is really and truly all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's, it's about him. It's about his glory. And, and, and because he's gracious, hallelujah, you know what he does? He invites us in to relationship. He invites us in to feast with him. He invites us in to experience him even now in the midst of it all. And so what we have to do, church, is we have to focus on the king, because when we're focused on him, our expectations are going to be met. You know why? I love it. Last night, again, and I, and I quote this, uh, Toby Mack was there. Some of you know his story. A couple of years ago, he lost his son tragically, tragically. And as he experienced this, he is going through this heartache, and this pain that no parent ever wants to experience. And as he is going through all of this, he realizes something in the midst of it all, and he's like, listen, I realize this. God loves me, and God loves my son, so I can trust his plans are better than mine. Now, that sounds easy. That's two years removed from the situation. He wasn't saying that the day after, I'm sure. Maybe he was, but he's wrestled with those thoughts. And he realized, he said, you know what, in the midst of it, he said, God doesn't always take you out of the cold, but you know what God says? I'll be with you in the cold. God doesn't always turn up the heat. In other words, God doesn't always fix the situation we want him to fix, but he promises, his promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't forget me. When you're going through the valley, don't forget me. When it's difficult, don't forget me. When, when, when you don't feel me, know that I'm there. See, that's his promise to us. That's what he wants us to know for certain in the midst of it all. And again, that's why the book of Revelation does what? Look up. Oh, I know hell is breaking loose down here. Look up. Because guess what? It's chaotic here. There's glory there. There's order there. There's a king there. He's not shaking. He's not moving. He's not working. That's what Revelation does for us. That's one of the things that it does for us. It points us to the king. And so things may not happen the way we want them or when we want them to happen, but our expectations will be met because our Savior will never leave us. Amen? So what are these five things? Real quick, we're going to run through these. I got 25 minutes. Glory to God. We're going to do this. Hallelujah. Amen. The first thing, say this after me. Say, heaven, heaven. Will, rejoice. will rejoice. 
Heaven will rejoice. That's the first thing that will happen. We just read this. Heaven rejoices. So as happens often in Revelation, it does what? We look up to heaven. We see what's going on. But here's the question. Why is heaven rejoicing? And I'm going to give you some bullet points. We already read those 10 verses, verses 1 through 10 there. But this is the first one that I would say. Verses 1 through 4 show us the, the heavens rejoice because God has judged his enemies. Pastor Aldo preached on this last week. Can we give God a hand of praise for Pastor Aldo bringing forth God's word? Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you, man. But as he was talking to you last week, he talked about this great harlot that was going to be judged, and he talked about Babylon that was going to be judged. These two systems, one of them, the harlot, representing the religious corrupt system of worship that is going to be in the end times, and then this Babylon, which is what? It's the economic political system of the end times as well that we can easily get caught up in, and you know what? Here's what happens. I know that we get all nervous, like especially when it comes to like political stuff. And blah, blah, blah. Guess what? God's going to judge it all. Let me say it again. God's going to judge it all. God is going to crush every one of his enemies. And you know what? Some of his enemies may not be your enemies. Hello. Amen. You could have laughed at that. Glory to God. Some of the people you think should be on God's hit list are not. Hello. And some of the people you think are could definitely not ever be on that hit list. They are. I know that sounds crazy. It's like God's a hit man. No, I'm not saying God's a hit man. But what I am saying is God is a judge who will judge all of those. And so the scripture shows us that all of this, the false religious system, the anti-God religious system that is marked by idolatry, know this, the anti-God religious system and the anti-God political and economic system, those two systems are going to be crushed because they are systems that are rooted in idolatry. Well, idolatry, where's the, where, where's the images? Oh, they're bound to all kinds of images. I want to tell you something that I read, uh, the three things that happened this week that show me the implications of these systems. One of them was this, the, the um, ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, they just installed their first openly transgender bishop. Let me say it again for you. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America installed its first openly transgender bishop. You know why that's happening? Because we are allowing people to be idolaters. We're teaching people, worship your pleasures and your passions more than God. We are teaching people, it's okay to do you. You only live once, right? All that good stuff, right? Crazy. That's the church. I read another article, probably the same thing with churchleaders.com. And the, and, and the article um, said, a church by sinners for sinners. Right? That's not the name of the church, but that's like the theme of the church. The pastor's wife is a proud, practicing porn star. And she defends her position on Instagram. How can you judge me? Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the porn industry is dominated in, in there. What we see predominantly are women who have been abused since they were children 
and who are continuing to be abused. And for my brothers in the room, you know, I love you guys. I'm all about men. But if you are struggling with porn, you need to repent because you are supporting an industry that does nothing but degrade and, and minimize women. But not just that, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't even acknowledge the fact that most of these girls have been abused all of their lives and now they've just come to the point, well, I am nothing and so I'm going to do this in front of cameras and at least make something. Now listen, if my, my wife ever, look, <laughs> first of all, it wouldn't even happen in the first place, but, but my wife is a woman of God. She's not going to come out here trying to justify her. When my wife sins, she's, you know, just like any of us, I don't want to make her a saint yet, amen? <laughs> but just like any of us, she wrestles with, do I need to say I'm wrong, glory to God? But eventually she will come around and wreck it. She's not, she's not trying to live in sin. What this, this church, they're, they're church planters. And what they are doing is they are saying, hey, you know what, guys, it's, guys, it's okay to be down with porn. Matter of fact, keep doing it because I get paid for it, and that pays the bills for the church. But this is idolatry, church. This is the fruit of idolatry. Third thing, this is not a church thing, but some of you are aware of this trial that just happened. And I won't even mention the doctor's name because it's not worth mentioning. This pedophile. But these young ladies, they testified on Capitol Hill in a Senate hearing. Four young ladies out of 140 little girls who were abused by this pedophile. I'm not going to go over the heart-wrenching details of this. It is disgusting. And I'm sure that I would have been in prison. I wouldn't have just lunged at the guy. But I'm pretty certain, and that's what happened in the courtroom with one of the dads, because how in the earth? But when Senator Cory Booker was talking, and I did something that I've never done before, which is pretty funny because, you know, you hear all these people, they have certain, like, and even me, like, if you did this on my video, if you went and you, like, took the speed to 1.5, I don't know how you would listen to that because I talk fast, but anyway. Go to 1.5. It's funny because you hear these people talking. It's like, oh, my goodness. They kind of sound like chipmunks, but not so much. And you can understand what they're saying. But anyway, I'm listening to Senator Cory Booker. And as I'm listening to Senator Cory Booker, he's talking about how could we, as, as anybody should be, right, irate over how the FBI, and let me be clear, how the FBI failed these girls. Let me just tell you one thing that just makes me so mad. This FBI agent had this little girl, and when I say little girl, like 15 years old, on the floor for three hours in her bedroom, hearing her testimony, and you know what? He was so, he, he, he was so correct with his questions. He was like, well, did he do this, and did he do that, and no. And then when the girl finally broke down when she expressed the rape, he was silent on the other end and has the audacity to simply say to the girl, is that it? Was there anything else? But that's not the thing that gets me so irate because he could have just been an insensitive guy who is so desensitized to the situation. But he had the audacity and he was found guilty of going and falsifying the girl's statement. So this pedophile could continue to rape little girls. But you know why that happens? Some of y'all are not going to like what I'm about to say. 
You know why that happens? As I listen to Senator Cory Booker talking and expressing his disdain, his frustration, we got to get to the root of the issues, don't we, church? Why? How, how could something like this occur? You want to know why it occurs? Because we don't see people as image bearers of God. And you know where that begins, my friends? It begins in the womb. You can't tell a culture that people matter when you tell them the babies in the womb don't matter. You can't get irate because of a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl who gets raped and, and, and abused, and I am irate about that, and then stand back and say, well, but, you know, we can kill babies as we want. You can't have it both ways, friends. I'm sorry. I don't care if you're a liberal. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care what you are, and I don't care what your position is. That is idolatry. And that is the re you know what that does? That feeds into this idea, well, you really don't matter. You're, 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 you're really insignificant, right? You're here. You're not. But if we were talking about you're an image bearer from the moment that God creates you in the womb. You are an image bearer from the moment that God deposits life in the womb of that mother. If we were talking like that, 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 that FBI agent would have had to quit after he did that interview with that little girl because he would have been so overwhelmed with emotion. How could this girl go through that? And I'm, I'm exaggerating the point because he may have a passion to, to save them girls, but the thing is, you won't be so decent. You know why we, get, we just sit there, we're like, oh, well, he's being political. I'm not being political. I'm not being political, y'all. This is not a Republican, Democrat, liberal. This, this, this is not one of those issues. This is a life issue. And if we care about these girls that are being raped and we care about these kids, if we care about that stuff, we better start caring way back here. We have an idolatry issue, church. It's all about money. It's all about, it's all about my pleasure. It's all about my feelings. The second reason why heaven is rejoicing, verses 5 through 6, is because God is reigning. God is reigning. I love it. I love it. I love it. God is reigning. The Lord God omnipotent, the way that this would actually read, is the Lord God omnipotent begun to reign. Now, now hear me. It's not that he started to reign. It's that there's a new definition to his reign that's going to happen now. There's a new manifestation of his reign and his rule. Heaven is rejoicing because God Almighty is reigning. And then the third thing, we talked about this a little bit, is the bride is ready. Heaven is rejoicing because the bride is ready. The bride is ready. While on earth, church, you need to understand this right now. You know what we are in? We are in the betrothal stage. You know what that means? That means right now we're getting ready for our king. As the church, collectively, we are getting ready for the king. We should be becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. We should be becoming more like God, our Savior. That, that's what should be happening. We should be being purified, not becoming idolaters who are doing our own thing. That's what we do, right? We do our own thing. We're not, we're, we're, we're not looking forward. Like, think about this, right? I just talked about my wedding, right? On, on, on the wedding day for me, right? I mean, the, the day before the wedding, I went, I got a haircut, I, and, and I told my barber, you know, he opened my barber, because I know you don't think so because I'm bald, but <laughs> there was a time, there was, there, there was a time, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a time I was like my brother Oscar. You see that nice hair, beautiful, fade beautiful? That's my Forge brother there, came to visit with us today. 
I was very, I only had like two bar, three barbers in my life because I'm like, you ain't touching my head. It was an idol and God took it from me, glory. He was like, you know what? That's it. And I was kidding. But when I went to my barber that time, I was like, I wasn't in a rush. And I made sure he knew, hey, man, I'm getting married on Saturday. In other words, tighten me up, brother. Make sure I look right. Hello. <laughs> Make sure everything looks perfect, right? Like that, 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 that was my, pre- that was as far as my, and I think I shaved. But then I had a baby face, you know, I was only 20, glory to God. Turned to 21, hallelujah. I didn't have this hair. So I'm sure I shaved and all that good stuff. But nonetheless, <laughs> I was prepared. I went, to the, I went to the tailor, right? Made sure my suit was looking right. I was ready. I was ready to see my bride. Amen. And, and my bride, she is beautiful. But man, that day, I'm telling you, my pastor and her uncle, they messed me up, man. Because they both made me stand like this while she walked down the aisle. They were very old school on me. And they were like, you can't turn around until she comes to your side. I'm like, man. But when I turned and I saw that beauty, I was like, wow. I get to marry her today. Amen. <laughs> As any 20-year-old would have been. Amen, right? But I know her preparation was extensive as she got ready to come and meet the bridegroom. Now, we had seen each other before. We had been together for, uh, we're going to argue about this forever to the day we die, but we had seen each other for a long time, glory to God. <laughs> we're not going to argue. We're just going to disagree on the, on, on, the, on the particulars. But nonetheless, we had seen each other. We had been on dates, all, all that good stuff. But there was a special day. That required a specific preparation. Church, we need to be those type of people that are looking forward to the day that the bridegroom comes, that he calls us, that he says it's time for the marriage supper of the Lamb, that it's time for us to rejoice together. This is going to be a feast like no other. That's what we're looking forward to. That's where our hope is. That's why we look to Jesus. We're looking for the day that we are coming into this wedding feast and we are overwhelmed with the brilliance, the majesty, and the glory of the bridegroom. Hallelujah. And we've been purified and we've been prepared to be with him. And I want to say this because I think that this is so important. Look at verse 10 really quickly. I'm closing up with the first point. I know I now have 10 minutes. Praise the Lord. We'll we'll move a little quicker moving forward from this point. But he says this. He says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony. Hear these words. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Why does this matter? Why does this? Look, I I have to point this out. Every prophetic word, whether written in scripture or spoken by a person, must be rooted in the spirit of prophecy. It is not about men. It is not about you. It is not about you and your best life. It's not about all the blessings. Nope, 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 no. It is about Christ. Every prophet of Scripture, you know what they were doing? They were pointing to Jesus. 
Every one of them was pointing to Jesus or calling people to repentance from their sin to turn to God. That's what was happening there. And every prophet since then, listen, if they miss it, this, remember the stuff I just read about a moment ago? All that stuff that I just read a moment ago? You know what that is? That's the spirit of prophecy being missed. Because when you're calling people to Jesus, you know what you're doing? You're calling them to repentance. You're calling them to faith in him. You're calling them to a surrendered life. I'm going to preach on this in the new year. I hope you'll still be with me, glory to God. On what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because I think some of us get it, but I don't know that we get it, get it. I got to move on. The second thing, say it with me, Christ will return. The heavens rejoice because Christ will return. So what do we see here? Look at verse 11. We're going to read these verses. I want you to hear them, and then I'll just give some commentary. It says, now I, sat, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Remember the pale, the, the pale horse in, early on in Revelation? Well, this is a white horse. And he, or there, there, there was that white horse that was the false Christ there as well. But here is a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were, 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 on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he, has a, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. The first thing that we see is the description of this lamb that is now a lion. We see this description of Jesus who was meek when he walked on the earth, and now he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got a robe dipped in blood. He is, I mean, some people even think he's tatted up. Hello. Intimidating on his thigh, the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not coming back to have a kumbaya. He is coming back to lay the smack down on all of those who have rebelled against him. He is the king of angel armies. He is the one who rides on the clouds. He is the one who is coming back and he will execute not just any judgment, but righteous judgment. Oh, every single person, know this, know this, every single person that God judges will be well-deserving, will have no, dis no excuse. That's, that's the same now. That's going to be the same then. This Jesus that we saw who hung on a cross, who didn't call down armies to his defense, is now leading the armies. And guess what? The armies, I love this. The armies are literally there just for show. <laughs> you never see the army do anything except we riding on a horse, glory to God. I'm, I, got, I got a horse. I'm clothed in white. I'm behind him, glory to God. Because anybody who rises up, the sword comes out of his mouth. It's over. It's not even a fight. Huh. This is our Jesus, the one that's coming back. We need to be, we need to be prepared. And so Christ is, is, is doing this. Now look at what it goes on to say, because the first thing we see is the description of Jesus. Now the second thing that we see in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, 
And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Notice this. There is a group that is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then there are birds that are invited to the great supper of God. Notice the difference. Look at this. That you, look at verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses. I know some animal activists just got upset, but anyway. And of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw, now now you notice what is happening here. He is saying there is going to be such devastation. He is calling the vultures and all of these birds to come to this supper because the carcasses that are going to be there are going to be of all those who have rebelled against God. That's the great supper of God that is awaiting those who don't repent before the Lord. Verse 19, he says, and I saw the great, the, the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire that is burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and on the birds. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is a horrendous scene, do you not think? I want to be in the white behind Jesus. I want you to know this. You have that option right now. Let me just pause here online. If you have not made allegiance, and I want to make that clear. If you have not made allegiance with Jesus by putting your faith in him and him alone, now is the moment. Don't wait for tomorrow because I don't know know what tomorrow brings. Don't wait for when you leave here to think about it. No, listen, now is the moment. Turn from your sin. Make allegiance. What do I mean by make allegiance? What I mean is surrender yourself. Don't just pray a prayer. Don't just say, God, please say. No, 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 you, you need to think about this. You need to surrender your life because there's plenty of people that are praying prayers, and I'm sorry, they're going to be on the other side of this. They're not going to be in white behind Jesus. They're going to be wiped out by the sword that is coming out of his mouth in judgment. I mean, that's just a fact. So now is the moment to turn. Verse 1 in chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. And having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. That's where we get the whole idea of millennium. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And this bottomless pit is not hell yet because he's not going there. This is a pit, a prison. Shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were were finished. But after these things, he will be released for a little while. So the second thing we see is what? The first thing we see is we see the description of the conqueror. The second thing that we see is we see the description of his conquest. What do we have here? He defeats the armies of the kings of the earth. That's the first thing that we see him do. The second thing is he defeats the beast and the false prophet. The ones who were deceiving everyone, they're defeated. And yes, they are cast into the lake of fire. They are, they are, they are immediately judged there. And then Satan will be defeated, verses 1 through 3. We just read that here. Before he is finally judged, he is bound for a thousand years. Why? 
Listen, I'm not going to act like I know all of this stuff. I'm going to tell you what I understand from the text. He's going to be there for a final testing of those who will be on earth without temptation. See, because it's easy. You got to think about this. During that time, during that thousand years, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But during that thousand years, it's going to be the most beautiful time ever. It's going to be the time that every one of us, it's going to be the utopia that everybody's waiting for. It's going to be the real peace that's going to come because God is going to rule. And guess what? Jesus is going to be the judge, jury, and everything. And when anybody decides to get out of line, you know what's going to happen. That sword's going to consume them. That's it. So guess what? There's going to be real deterrence. Because it's not going to be a threat, right? It's not going to be like, hey, well, if you do this, I'm going to put you on probation. Nope, you're done. He's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a time of peace like no other. Because what? Because people are going to have a real fear of God because they've seen what God did to all of his enemies already. The, the reign of Christ is going to be there. And at the end of that time, guess what happens? Satan gets released for a short period of time. And you know what he does? Somehow, somehow, I don't know how he does this. After being under such a good ruler, after being under Jesus, he's able to go and deceive folks. He's able to get people to turn against Jesus who just for a thousand years was reigning and ruling and people saw. Because there's going to be two groups of people that are going to be there. We're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> Say this with me, the third thing. Saints will reign. The reason why heaven will rejoice is because the saints will reign. 20, verse 4 through verse 6. Let's read it here. It says, I saw thrones, and there sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. That's the people of God that have gone, the saints of God. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, Notice this, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So a thousand years, the saints will reign in one and, and, and what, 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 what we see clearly is that this thousand years, what happens is the church reigns, and here's what else happens. Israel sees all the promises that have been made in Scripture are being fulfilled in this time, during this time period. So all of the things that God has said, the church, the saints that have already dead, glorified saints, they're there. It should be noted that there are some who do not believe in a literal thousand years. There are some people who don't believe in this millennium. They're, they're called amillennial, amillennialists. They, 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 they think that this is all like fictitious. They think this, that Satan was actually bound when Jesus rose from the dead. That's what they think. I like what one author does say, though. He makes it pretty clear. He says, man, if Satan was bound, he's got a long chain. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it, but anyway, so that the thousand years Satan is bound, and, 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 and we see this, that John here makes a distinction between two groups of resurrected people. The first group of resurrected people. That first group are the saints, the ones who have died, the ones who are there. They're going to go, they're going to reign for that millennium, that thousand years. I just need like 10 more minutes and we'll be done. They reign for thousand, a thousand years. They reign, they rule for that thousand years with Christ. But during that time period, you need to understand as well that there are people that are still alive on earth that are living during those thousand years that are procreating, they're, they're inhabiting the earth again. They're under the rule of Christ, that beautiful rule that is the best rules. You all believe that God's word is the best rule, amen? amen. God's ways are the best ways. And so 
it's crystal clear. What is right is right. What's wrong is wrong. It's a beautiful time. Thousand years that they reign. And yet at the end, we see this terrible moment where they are deceived, which brings us to the fourth point. Say this with me. Say Satan will revolt. Satan will revolt. Satan will revolt. Verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle those to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. Remember, the earth is being populated. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Again, we have an opportunity to fight. Nope, no, no need. Just stay cute, man. <laughs> you know, linen, linen, linen wrinkles easy, right? <laughs> I got you. Don't worry about it. You're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. I got a sword and I got fire. They, they ain't coming. You, I, I know you got nervous. Like, is it? No, no, they... The devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's no annihilation. It's not like you go to hell for a little bit and then you get out of, you get out of hell at some point. It's eternal suffering. We see now that Satan is cast in there. That's what happens to Satan. In one final deception effort, Satan will be loosed and used to provoke the wickedness of men's hearts. Think about this. When given a choice, sadly, we will usually choose sin over righteousness. Again, they were under the perfect rule of Christ. The perfect laws were given and followed or perfectly addressed as I described. And yet these things combined did not change the hearts of men. Why does this matter? Because we need to understand that laws do not change men's hearts. The gospel does. Church, understand this. Hear me. Because I know, you know, I, I know you guys. I know some of you got a little ruffled when I talked about the whole abortion thing. And that's okay. I, I'm okay offending you on that. But I want you to know this. You can overturn Roe v. Wade all day long. That's not going to change people's hearts. That's not going to make people all of a sudden, oh, they're image bearers. Of course not. People are still going to, now I want Roe v. Wade overturned. Let me, let me not get it twisted. Hello. For the baby's sake, because you know what? For them, I, it's for their sake, yes. But here's the thing. That's not on the top of my things to worry about, just, just so you know. But here's, here, here's what I want you to understand. The perfect laws of God. No Donald Trump. No Biden. King Jesus. No messed up legislators. The king's rule. No people being able to be paid off so that way they falsify documents and they don't get in trouble. No messed up system that doesn't allow you to have documentation that says this person is guilty of criminal activity, but that department has to prosecute them. None of that crap. I know the bishop just said crap twice. None of that. Perfect rule of Jesus. And Satan is still able to deceive the hearts of people. We have a sin problem deep within us. 
That is why we need the gospel. Which brings me to my last point. Heaven rejoices, say this with me, because sinners, say this with me, sinners Sinners. are recompensed. Heaven rejoices because sinners are recompensed. I want to read this to you, and I'm wrapping up. Because then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Before God ushers in the new heavens and new earth, he must deal with sin one final time. And this is the second resurrection, which is the resurrection for all of those who have rebelled against God, and they will face judgment. This is not the judgment of of followers of Jesus. This is the judgment for those who have not bowed to Jesus, and they will come before his throne, and he cast Satan out, From heaven to earth, he did this. Jesus already did it. He cast him from earth to the pit, and then he cast him from earth into hell, into into the lake of fire. He did all of this to Satan. And now the recompense is going to come. Sinners from every period in history will be resurrected and judged one final time. Daniel talks about this resurrection as well. This is not just a New Testament thing. The white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. Know this. At the white throne, there will be a judge, but no jury. There will be a prosecution, but no defense. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. No one will be able to defend himself or accuse God of unrighteousness. What a terrifying scene it will be. But I need you to know this. The lake of fire is the just judgment of a holy God. We don't want to talk about hell just like we don't want to talk about politics and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Read the Gospels again and, and just, just highlight. I know that's like morbid. I'm going to highlight hell in the Gospels. Highlight it and count. And you'll see Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. It is a real place. It is a real place of suffering. The judgment of sinners will be terrifying. I hope that you are trembling. When I read this, I tremble. When I see this, I tremble because I'm like, man, God, I do not want, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to think I'm in. And and listen, you are not. Understand this, please, because I don't want you to just know the realness of hell, but you should also know that Jesus has made every provision so that way you and I do not have to suffer the second death in the lake of fire. You understand that? Jesus died a horrific death in our place, and he did so so that way we would be able to have hope. He made this great exchange. He suffered for us what we deserved in order that we could have life with him. He wants us to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He wants us to reign with him and rule with him. He wants us to be with him for eternity. He has done it all. Nonetheless, that does not zero out hell. We have a choice. 
I said it earlier. We have, listen, we have a choice. And if you're here and you are not sure where you stand with God, you need to humble yourself before him. If you're online and you don't know where you stand with God, you need to humble yourself before him. Now, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Humble yourself before God. Repent of your sin and then trust in his great sacrifice. See, because it's not our works that get us into heaven. It's not our goodness that gets us into heaven. It is his grace and his grace alone. It is not our merit that brings us into heaven. It is his grace and his grace alone. And he wants to offer us that grace. And so here's my closing question to you. Are you living like you're looking? Are you living like you're looking? And I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of 2 Peter. It's chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to go to verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. And Peter is speaking about the end times. Look what he says. He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. What things? The things that we just talked about. Be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But do what? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Are you living like you're looking are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you striving to be pure and spotless? None of us is going to be pure and spotless every moment of our lives. But it's one thing to live in the mud and the mire. It's another thing to fall in and get up and go take a shower. It's one thing to, to, to live wanting more of Jesus and falling short. It's a whole other thing being okay falling short. And like, I'm, I'm good. The grace of God got me. Oh, no, 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 my friend. Don't, don't, don't think that way. That's dangerous. I mean, these are, these are not my words. I just read to you Peter's words. This guy's an apostle. And I want, I want to repeat this. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, verse 17, beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Why warn people that don't need a warning? I'm going to leave it there. Bow your heads with me, please. We should be secure in the, in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to partake of communion in a moment. But as you have your head bowed, we should be 100% secure in what Jesus has done for us. No question. But we should also be living our lives for the glory of Jesus. And so listen, if you're in here and you're not sure of where you stand with the Lord, right now is a moment for you to humble yourself before him. <clears throat> Repent of sin. Ask him to be Lord of your life. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If you're in here and you, you are a follower, but you're, you're not living like you're looking. You're living like you got your head in the sand or something like that. A brother, my sister, repent. 
before the Lord now. God is holy. His standards are holy. He doesn't bend his standards for anyone. Lord, we come to you with our hearts humbled. We acknowledge that you are a holy king. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. That holy, that righteous, that blood. Thank you for, thank you for purifying us. Thank you for taking us from being your enemies and making us your friends. Lord, we know hell is real. We know that your wrath is real. And we know that you are truly omnipotent God who reigns. And so, Lord, I pray for those in here and those who hear my voice. May they respond to you in faith, in obedience, in submission and surrender. May they respond to you in truth. May they either repent for the first time or repent again today. May they put their faith in you either way and may their faith in you be strong. So strong that it leads to a different lifestyle, a different way of living, a different way of thinking. A faith in you that is so strong that it turns us from sin, from rebellion, from callousness. Lord, let us know that you're holy. Let us understand that deep inside, but at the same time where we understand that you are there to rescue us. You're not there to be with us in our sin. You are there to deliver us from our sin. Not just the consequence, but the power of it. God, break, Lord, right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you break strongholds of sin and lives right now. Father, even as I pray and, and I sense this breaking in lives, Lord, I pray that repentance would grip hearts. I pray that compromise would be broken off of lives in the name of Jesus through repentance. I pray that strongholds would break in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your holiness consume our hearts. In the strong, strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.